In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now at the hour of our death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by light of the Holy Spirit, granted by the same Spirit, may be truly wise, never rejoice in this consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady of Fatima, St. Joseph, Father Lanteri, St. Ignatius, St. Peter, O God's angels and saints. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, go get, good evening. Given that this is a Flash Ignatian course, the classical one that I started about 17 years ago is 10 weeks. Uh, this is four weeks, so this is actually the last week. Uh, that being the case, uh, I'd like to make some suggestion before we give the last formal lecture, which is tonight. Is even though it's ten weeks, or rather four weeks, uh, I really encourage all of you to beg for the grace to persevere persevere in the practice of meditation. So this, even though it's a flash course, my hope and my desire is that we will have established at least a foundation on which you can start to build your spiritual edifice. Uh, of all the practices in the spiritual life, going to Mass and praying your novena and praying the rosary and the chaplet, okay, fine. But being faithful to daily mental prayer is obviously by far the most difficult. And uh, if I do not motivate you now, probably within a couple of weeks you're going to, you probably give it up and don't be offended, but to return to a mediocre lifestyle. Okay? No offense, no? But if you do not apply yourself to some type of mental prayer, you're going to be mediocre. You're going to be lukewarm, like most Catholics. So, uh, my purpose in constructing this court is not to form mediocre Catholics, but Catholics that are on fire. So, it depends on you. Um, I can give you all the instruments I can give you the techniques I can give you the methods but if you're not willing to collaborate with all that we're given to you it's, uh, it's an exercise in futility yeah. speaking philosophically right? it's an exercise in futility unless you collaborate with what we're giving to you so, I'm saying that, hoping that all of you right now will make the decision to, okay, starting today, I'm going to try to be faithful to mental prayer uh, until the Lord calls me. Yesterday was St. Alfonso Liguori. He says, if you don't do mental prayer, it can be very difficult for you to become holy. St. Alfonso Liguori. Teresa of Avila says the same thing, and so does Saint Ignatius. These are these are the masters. These are the masters. So, uh, one thing I'd like to suggest is: uh, yesterday we finished giving an, an eight, nine-day retreat in Alhambra uh, to about sixty people, but um, I'll make this suggestion that. All of you, if you take your spiritual life seriously, 
you have to have a spiritual director. Okay, you hear me? I like to give sometimes sports analogies, no? And uh, uh, my favorite sport is baseball. My team is playing about the worst they've been playing in 25 years. I won't mention the team, no? <laughs> and I just learned uh, about a week ago, they got, they got a new batting coach because their batting is the worst I've ever seen in 30 years, no? You know, professional ba baseball player hitting 190, 175. They should be sent to the mind. I could hit better than that, probably. <laughs> So if you have coaches in baseball, coaches for pitching, shouldn't we have spiritual coaches? Hello? Amen or oh me? Amen, right? So if there are coaches in basketball and baseball, or if you wanted to speak a good English and you're maybe from Mexico, you don't have a good teacher, you're going to be speaking a broken English all your life, even though you're here for 40 years. No? You, know, you have to learn grammar, vocabulary, and pronunciation. I'm a teacher. No? <laughs> okay? So there are, there are techniques that have to be learned in the spiritual life, and spiritual directors can coach you along the way. So if you want a spiritual director, afterward you can speak to um, some, one of my facilitators here, perhaps Mary, and write down your name. And, but this presupposes that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna try to be faithful with your holy hour. Okay, hear me? Yes, Father. Because if you don't try to be faithful with your holy hour, you're just going to come and talk about your problems. No? Okay, you can talk your talk, you can talk your about your problem, it's your mother-in-law, right? If you're married, okay? Or you can talk to your... Yeah, you can talk, talk your problems about shoot the breeze with anyone. But spiritual direction, you're going to be talking about your relationship with God. That's much different than just shooting the breeze and venting out your problems with, 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 with someone. You want to talk about your relationship with God. And we have here in... Uh, this is probably the parish that has most spiritual direction, probably in the country. Yeah. Probably in the country. We have here in this parish close to 40 certified spiritual directors who have gone... They've gone for a three-year training, either to Florida or Houston or to um, Clearwater or um, Denver, thank you, one of those three places. And they've gone through a three-year preparation where they've learned how to become spiritual directors, obviously under our supervision, the priest. Because obviously the priest is going to be the best spiritual director because we've got theology, we've got holy orders, and we've got the Holy Spirit, which gives us that grace that goes beyond a lay person. But lay people can spiritually direct too. And I've discerned, what's better for me? To spend a lot of time in spiritual direction or spend a lot, a lot of time in the confessional? What do you think? Confession. Hello? Confession. Yeah, because spiritual directors can, can guide you, but only I can give you the absolution. Amen? Amen. <laughs> So, already formulate for yourself a plan of life in which you're making the decision to be faithful to your daily holy hour and have someone to guide you along the way. And I'm saying, the holy hour is very difficult. And if you don't have spiritual direction, 95% of people... Maybe they persevere two months, three months, four months, five months. Then they hit a snag. They'll fall into desolation for a week. Then, then, they'll, then, they'll, give it, then they'll give up. And I wasn't born yesterday, so I, I'm talking from experience. Okay? Amen? Yes. 
All right. So this mini course, we've meditated upon principle and foundation. We had a meditation upon uh, sin in the book of Genesis, right? Then we had a series of meditation upon God's mercy, especially with the with the divine mercy, the divine mercy parable that is called the prodigal son. Okay, this week, which is the last week, we're going to give you a series of meditations on what is called the call of the king. The call of the king. So, I'll give you a summary of the call of the king. Then, for lack of time, I'm going to, I'll talk about one individual in the Bible that can be an example for us. Call the king... St. Ignatius presents an earthly king who has a very noble enterprise. He wants to conquer the whole world. Nothing more and nothing less. But being intelligent, he's keenly aware of the fact that he cannot conquer the world without help. So he's launching the invitation to have followers that will help him to conquer the world. And we know the end of the story is victory. It's victory. It's It's not defeat or failure. The end of the story is victory. He's going to win. And he's going to share with whoever will wills to walk with him, train with him, work with him, sweat with him, fast with him, suffer with him. He's going to be sharing with those individuals his victory. Ignatius asked the question, how many of you would want to follow this king? Okay, Ignatius says, only someone who's stupid would not raise his hand. Okay? <laughs> only someone without any common sense. Because you know, you know that the victory is his. But that means you have to go into boot camp with him, huh? <laughs> you know what boot camp is? Yeah. You got to go through boot camp. Which means you got to work, you got to suffer, you got to be vigilant. You got to be willing to bite the bullet, huh? And walk the extra mile. So that's the call of the king. And Ignatius gives us the first part is the parable of the call of the earthly king. And that takes us into the call of the heavenly king. That heavenly king is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is not so much interested in conquering the physical world, but Jesus Christ wants to conquer the human person and he wants to conquer souls. He wants to save souls. How many of you want to follow that king? (laughs) Okay. So if we're willing to follow the earthly king in his victory, even more so should, be we, we, should we be willing to follow the eternal king, that is Jesus Christ. So we're going to be praying for the grace in this as you do your meditations that all of you will be instrumental in bringing people to Christ. Amen? Amen. Bringing people to Christ. And bring in Christ to others. Two-way street. You're called to be an apostle. So as you meditate upon these seven meditations, we're going to be giving you biblical meditations on the call of Matthew, the call of Peter, the call of the fishermen, the call of Saul of Tarsus, the call of Zacchaeus, the call of the rich young man. These are the different calls that I've gleaned from the Bible, writing short commentaries on it.
you have to situate yourself that you are the one that's really being called. You have to make that connection. In each of these biblical passages, you're the one that's really being called to bring people to Christ. Now, to motivate you, to motivate you, you're not, you're not in it for earthly gain. You're working with Christ to save souls. To save souls. Now your soul and the soul of your son and the soul of your wife or the soul of your brother or the soul of your disgruntled mother-in-law okay, is worth more than the whole created universe. This is not hyperbole either. Your soul and the soul of your husband and your son or daughter is worth more than the whole created universe. Think about the whole created universe. You meditate upon that in principle and foundation and creation. Your soul is worth more than all of that put together a billion times. And as St. Peter says, you are not saved. You're not saved by silver or gold. You are not redeemed by the blood of lambs or calves or heifer. But you are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You are saved by Jesus who shed his blood on Calvary. You want a graphic you want a graphic understanding of that? Call to mind the film of Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ. Did you see it? Okay? Go through that movie. Everything that Jesus suffered, he suffered for love of you and for me. If that doesn't move you, nothing's going to move you. Your heart is a rock. That doesn't move you, nothing's going to move you. I mean, God can enter and He can God can enter and and He can He can break your heart. He can. Sometimes He does through suffering. But if the passion of Christ doesn't move you, you're a basket case. <laughs> but, God, but, God, but God can break through the basket. God can pulverize boulders. Huh? He can. So in your enterprise for saving souls, it's related to working with Jesus to save souls. To save souls. Now, St. Ignatius, okay, St. Ignatius in this juncture of the exercise, the context of the exercises, if you're making a month retreat, he, said, he says that you should read The Imitation of Christ. Have you heard of it? Yes. By Thomas Kempis. That's the second most read book uh, in the Christian world after the Bible itself. By Kempis. But then he also says you should, you should read also and reflect upon the lives of the saints. So the life of Christ and the lives of the saints. Why should you meditate upon the lives of the saints? Because those are the ones that imitated Christ best. Okay? There's no one in the world that imitated Christ better than the saints. And that should motivate you to want to become a saint. All of us are called to become saints. And don't say, well, that's not for me. I can't become a saint. Well, let me prove it. You want to go to heaven? Más o menos. Menos que más, huh? Want to go to heaven, huh? Okay. Who's in heaven are the saints. saints. So for you to go to heaven, you have to become a saint. 
I'm using, well, 2 plus 2 is 4, right? Using a little bit of logic. You want to go to heaven, you have to become a saint. Hello? Right? If you want to become, and that's part of this meditation. We want to follow Christ. We want to walk in, in holiness and justice all the days of our lives. Okay, let me prove it going back to my teaching years. When I was teaching back in the 70s, I guess I'm betraying my age, huh? Here's a phrase that comes from Jesus. He says, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Right? Ever hear that? Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. What is the infinitive of be? To be. Okay, what, what tense is that? Any of you know English well? Don't study here. Don't, don't study grammar in California, do you, huh? Nor in the Philippines, huh? Be holy is not the present. It's not the imperfect. It's not the conditional. It's not the subjunctive. It's not a split infinitive. Okay? It's not, the, it's not a subjunctive. Okay? Okay? It is an imperative. Yo tengo niños muy imperativos, Padre. Okay. Okay, imperative. You know what that means? It means it's a command. So Jesus commands us imperiously to become saints. Amen? Amen. So, that's part of the call of the king to want to become we want to become saints. I had the privilege, had the privilege of being ordained by John Paul II. So I have holy hair. A little bit less than 36 years ago, huh? And you know who I met after that? In my first Mass, the missionaries of charity sang from my first mass and they asked me to go to their house after my first mass. And they went in there, there were a lot of nuns and they were singing, they are very happy because they they had made their vows. And out of them came this little nun, she's about 4'10", kind of small, walking slowly with a wrinkled face, no? Okay. And she came out and she knelt down in front of me she said, Father, I want your blessing. And she kissed my hands. That was Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Wow. And she turned to my mom and she said, Mrs. Broom, you've given to the world the greatest gift in the world, a priest who is a son. Amen. Yeah. So in, within 24 hours, I met the two most famous people in the world. I was underneath the hands of one then the other one was underneath my hands, you know, asking for my blessing. And Mother, There- Mother Teresa says this. She said, Holiness is not the privilege of the few, it's the duty of all. Yeah. Memorize that. Holiness is not the privilege of the few, but it's the duty of all. So as we as we prepare to meditate upon the call of the king, allow the saints, allow the lives of the saints to motivate you to become a saint. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Did you ever hear of Padre Pio? Padre Pio died when I was 12 years old. So he's a modern saint. A modern saint. Remember when I was a little, uh, a little kid like these little girls, and my mom was always reading, reading Padre Pio and Mother Seton. She loved Mother Seton too. But she was always reading about this Padre Pio. This is, and he was still living actually. He was already very famous. Now if I mention Padre Pio, I know what comes to your mind. Maybe you saw the movie. What did he have in his hands? Milky Way bars? No. 
A Big Mac? No. What did he have in his hands? How about in his feet? How about in his side? What? Okay, did he, he had it for 50 minutes? 50 years. 50 long years. Did you ever get a cut? You went crying to your mother. Mommy, kiss my boo-boo. Huh? <laughs> right? Oh, pobrecita. <laughs> yeah? Hey, 50 years, not just a little cut, but a penetrating hole that went right through his hand. Like the nail on Good Friday, right? Right, Carmen? Yeah. In his hand and in his feet. 50 years. One occasion, someone asked him, Hey, does it hurt? <laughs> and uh, Padre Pio didn't like stupid questions. So he would, he would use sarcasm at times when people ask him asinine questions, stupid questions. He said, It's not a Christmas decoration. <laughs> so every, every Friday it would bleed. Because Friday is the day in which we think about the Passion of Christ. And during the season of Lent, it, it, it would bleed the whole time. Let me ask you, why did Padre Pio willingly accept the stigmata? He wanted to be a show-off? No. He wanted, he wanted people to applaud him? Oh, if I do that, I'm going to become a saint and they'll put flowers before me and they'll make statues of me. He wasn't thinking about that. He did it because he wanted to save souls. Amen? Amen? There's only one reason. He loved God and if we love God, we should love what God loves. What does God love? God loves the salvation of souls. Let's take another example. Take another example. Yesterday we celebrated, we're talking about Saint, yesterday we celebrated Saint Alphonsus, Liguri. He had a, a double degree in law when he was the age of Giselle. Think about that. Well, maybe a year older, 16. Okay? Can you imagine civil law and canon law at 16? You got a couple of lawyers here. You, know, you didn't get until you're probably 30 years old. But he got well. He was a genius, but he was a hard worker too. When he was in his 60s, the Pope said, I want you to become bishop. And he already had so many problems with his order, with his health. He was, he was tempted to scrupulosity. Did you know that? Yeah. He was, he's, a, he's a patron of moral theologians, but he suffered scrupulosity. And he had to have a priest to help him to get through the scruples. He was tempted against all the articles of the Catholic faith. And he did the Ajade Contra. He wrote articles to defend those, those temptations. When he was in his 60s, about my age, and his health was falling apart, the Pope said, I want you to be a bishop. I want you to be a bishop. And he said, I can't, I'm just not healthy enough for it. I can't do it. I've got so many problems. You know what the Pope said? He said, your shadow is enough to sanctify the whole diocese. Can you say your shadow is enough to sanctify your whole family? <laughs> it's embarrassing, isn't it? No? Your shadow is enough to sanctify the whole diocese. Simply a shadow. That means that he was pretty holy, right? Yeah. Very holy. Let's take another example. And by, by reading the lives of the saints, you're motivated to try to imitate them. We have to have models. You have to have models. And these, these models were the ones that followed Jesus Christ. 
They pattern their life on the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, let's take let's take a couple more examples. Do you know who, whose feast we celebrate in two days? Do you know? I didn't think you knew, so I'll tell you. A couple of days ago, we celebrated St. Ignatius of Loyola. That was, that was the last day of July. But in two days, we celebrate the feast day of the Curie of Ars. Have you heard of him? St. John Maria Vianney. I'm privileged of having a first-class relic of, of St. Ignatius and the Curie of Ars. How about that? Don't cover your neighbor's goods now, okay? <laughs> so I've got the bone of these two great saints in my room because I have an Ignatian spirituality and the spirituality of the Curie of Ars. Let me ask you, what would happen if, if someone sat down next to you Okay, sat down next to you and started to talk about her problems for 20 minutes, half hour, an hour, two hours, three hours, six hours, seven hours, ten hours, fifteen hours. Do you think you'd be tired? Would you? Yeah, the Curie of ours did that every day of his life for 35 years. But it wasn't simply listening to problems, it was listening to sins. Do you eat once a day two potatoes? That's all right. Potato, a little bit of potato chips, right? Do you sleep on do you sleep on the ground on a board? Do you have someone come to visit you in the evening? <laughs> Calling you but you potato eater you? Is is the is the wall in your bedroom is the color red? Yeah. What's that? What's that? Yeah? He would scourge himself. You sleep three hours a night? No. Okay, I'm asking these questions because this one man did all of that. And he said at the end of his life, I go before the Lord empty-handed. I've confessed, I've confessed maybe 14 hours a day. On Good Friday, sometimes in Lent. And usually, you know, most priests here, half hour a day, right? I do about five hours a day. But 15 hours a day? Why on earth, why on earth, you tell me, could anyone sit in a little box like that 15 hours a day for 35 years? You tell me why. Because he wanted to save souls. There's only one reason. And he loves what God loves. If you love what God loves, you should love the salvation of souls. If you love what God loves, you should love the salvation of souls. So let me tell you, let me tell you a, a personal experience that I had in the retreat. And we've got some that made the retreat. We have Mary, we've got Elvira, we've got a few people that Rita, right? Um, I, I gave a nine-day retreat, and I, I came home yesterday. I think it was one of the best retreats um, I've ever given. Well, with Father Victor, 
It was a great retreat. Right, Rita, Mary, Elvira? Great retreat. Raquel? Well, let me, t- let me tell you. At the end of the retreat, uh, the spiritual directors, me and me and Father Victor, we came together to just share what went on. And the directors wanted to say how it went with their directees, but I, ca- I came at it with a, in a different direction. I wanted to speak about what was going on me with respect to desolation, consolation. I thought that that would be better for my my team. And um, during during the retreat, I was uh, I was in kind of a wave of consolation. I'd say 90% of the time, it just flowed very well with the people I was directing. I thought the talks went pretty well. Um, I was able to I was able to do um, I did like not simply an hour of prayer, but two hours. I was able to pray and get my rosaries in. So I was on a, I was on a high. But then I hit a snag. You know what the snag was this. And this is related to the call of the king. Are you listening? Yes, it was, um, I was really battling with this. Okay. It was on it was on the third day when I was going through the last things. Death, judgment, heaven, hell, purgatory, eternity. So I I gave the list of those different topics. Then it was my my turn to give a graphic talk on hell. And I'd, I'd actually planned this like about a few weeks before and Father Victor preached in the morning and then he gave the talk in the evening. I gave three, three of the talks. So I already designed that I would give the talk on hell. So I discerned it and three weeks ago, great. I tell you, before giving the talk, all hell, all hell broke loose within me. Then I told the people in the retreat, I told them, okay, today, right now, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you talk on hell. Man, they blanched. There was a, there was a dead silence. <laughs> and that scared me. And I, I, for a couple of seconds, I, I was backing up and saying, I was second guessing myself. I said, no, this is... Uh, this is too much. Then I heard another nudge. Give it. So I gave uh, probably one of the best depictions I've ever given on hell. And you know what I did was, almost verbatim, I gave the Ignatian text. So instead of reading it, I have a pretty good memory and I'm pretty good at summarizing it. So I just took the Ignatian text and I gave what is called application of senses. Now try to relate this to the call of the king. If you're saving souls, what are you saving them from? I can't hear you. Yeah, so all of this is related. So I gave a very graphic description of hell. And the way I gave it was, it's called application of senses. Now we're entering into what is called an Ignatian contemplation. And what it did was, okay, now I, I, I told the people, look, try to obey, obey me because I'm the director of this retreat. Obey me. <laughs> you have to imagine that you're in hell. You have to try to imagine you're in hell for at least for an hour. Okay? And I could tell that they had ants in their pants, No. Or amigas and suit pantalones. I mean, you could tell that there was, they felt uncomfortable. I said, no, you just try to do it. And then what did I do? I gave them the application sentence. Try, okay, try to, ima- try to imagine a fire. Now, start with your, your tr- start with your eyes. Do you ever see a fire? I probably had more contact with you people because you live in the city, but my dad would always have a bonfire every, every year down the East Coast. And we'd burn the, burn the leaves. And I remember contemplating the fire. And once I was talking with my, 
older brother was really good at physics and chemistry said, you know, brother, did you ever look at the five different colors? You ever notice that? You got white, you got yellow, you got orange, you got green, you got blue. Look at it next time. Probably, I mean, you're not very observant, but you've got five different colors. Which is the most intense would be the white. Then you got the yellow, you got the orange, then you got the green, and then you got the blue. This is, if you have a typical fire. So try to imagine, but it's like a lake of fire. Okay, what do you see in the fire? It's not leaves, or wood, or brush, or bushes. What? What do you see in that fire? You see souls. And what are they doing? They're floating up and down. Okay? Up and down. And they have different colors. Some are transparent. Like your glasses. Okay? Like the window. Others, others are bronze. Okay? Okay? Morenitas, they say in Spanish. Huh? They're bronze. Others are darker. Others are pitch black, like your hair, pitch black like your hair, indicating the time that they've been in hell. Then they're floating around without any equilibrium. But then, attentively, you can see these hideous animals, the animals more transpiercing, going through these souls. Those were the devils. So there you have the, the use of your eyes. And from there you have the use of your ears. What are you going to hear? You ever hear, you ever hear a fire crackling? Never notice that, huh? A fire will crackle, okay? But what do you think you would hear? Do you think the people there in hell were singing happy songs? Hymns of praise? No? The handle, hallelujah? No. What do you hear? You hear basically cursing and blaspheming God and each other. Now, let's, let's touch. Did you ever get burnt? Did you ever get burnt? <laughs> the example I give is when I was about 13, <coughs> my parents moved from New, New York to New Jersey. <coughs> and uh, next door to us was a big Catholic family, the Vaughn family, and their house caught on fire. And they had seven kids, seven or eight kids. And the mother, <coughs> the mother was crying out, My little daughter, they had a daughter who was about two years old, <coughs> was in the fire, crying out, help. So, I guess they did call the, the, the firemen, but they were taking a long time, and the, the, the mother was crying out, help. So, I would have been about 13, and my brother Michael was about 14. We decided, well, we're going to try to save that little girl. It was our intention to get in there. No one was going to get in, but we are going to get in. Our intention, we're going to get in there, wherever she is. We'll break through the bathroom. We'll grab on the little girl, and we'll bring her to safety. I never forgot that we opened up the door and back, and the, it was just the fumes, just the fumes of the fire. Not even the smoke, but the fumes of the fire. It was like an invisible hand that floored us, that pushed us right out of the house. And I remember touching my, my hair was burnt and my forehead was burnt. And that was just the, just the fumes. It wasn't even the smoke. Let alone, yeah. Yeah, for hell, you better give me that water. Yeah. <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> so when I talk about fire, that's the experience that I have. But it was, it was just the fumes. Did you save the little girl? Okay, good. What happened was we didn't get in. Right at that moment, 
the, the, the fire truck arrived, the girl was in the balcony, and the, the fireman told her to jump out. He caught her, dislocated his shoulder. Okay? His so shoulder was dislocated, and she was brought to safety. So it's a happy story. Now, me and my brother, we're, we're ready to go in there, but it was like an invisible force that pushed us out and floored us. No? No. But what about real fire? That was just the fumes, not even the smoke. So I talked about that, and I gave the application of the sense of smell. Okay. Did you ever smell a rotten egg? Does your mother put rotten egg perfume on on Sunday? <laughs> I doubt it. Huh? Or, or you ever smell sulfur? Sulfur? A sulfur in Spanish. Huh? Sulfur. So imagine that smell. And I think one of the worst things would be not to be able to breathe. Right, Mary? Not being able to breathe because it's so fetid. So almost not being able to breathe. So I, I gave this and at, at, I gave a, a few more details. That after I finished, I felt like I was being attacked by the devil. Really. All the, these thoughts were coming. Why did you give that talk? You know, you're going to scare these people. Some of, the, some of them are going to get up and they're going to leave. And they're probably going to call the bishop that this priest is, is out in left field. No? And if they don't leave, they're going to have nightmares. No? And they're going to have to go home for their teddy bear. Osito? No? This is going to paralyze the retreat. I mean, <laughs> the devil doesn't go on vacation. Uh, nor with the directors, no. So I, I had to, I had to ask a couple of people, tell my directors. I mean, was it okay? And everyone that I asked, everyone that I asked said, "Father, it was really good." And when we came together to share with uh, with some of those, with, with Mary and the others, one of them was Father Father Victor. Father Victor actually said. Father, there was one or two people that I was directing. They were resisting. They're holding back. Once you gave them the meditation of hell, it's like it broke through all the resistance. And then another director said the same thing. So that gave <laughs> that gave me consolation that what I said, that meditation, God wanted to. But the devil didn't want me to say it. So I'm giving you today a lot of different things, but this is called this is called the discernment of spirit. And I myself, and I'm not tooting my horn, if there's anyone knows the rules for discernment, I know it much better than you people. Okay? I have them memorized. <laughs> I know that if you ask me what rule it is, I'll tell you what it is, I'll tell you how to put it into practice, I'll tell you how I went through it. But the devil, the devil can even wreak havoc on those who are most expert in the rules. I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn, but I know the rules much better than you people. So what I'm saying here is the following. Is that the call of the king is a very, very noble enterprise. Okay? A very, very noble enterprise. And you're all called to work with the Lord to save and as many souls as possible. Amen? Amen. You're, you're called to work with the Lord to save as many souls as possible. Let me give you one more example in the life of, the saint, saint, of a saint and then a few practical suggestions. There was a little girl that died when she was your age. She's one of the youngest saints in the Catholic Church. Her name is Saint Jacinta Marto. Have you heard of her? Yes. Have you? Yes. 
She died, she was only, are you nine, nine? Nine years, okay, she died when she was your age. She didn't have any education, she just watched over sheep, okay? Uh, so she didn't have any formal education, but how was she converted? She was always a good girl, a little bit spunky, and she was a fierce competitor, different than her, her, her older brother. How was she converted? Hello? She was converted because July 13th, she had a graphic vision of hell. She was always a good little girl. She wasn't part of the Mexican mafia or anything like that. I mean, she's a good girl, no? But once she saw heaven, hell, she became a great saint. And if you if you to read what she did, you'd feel embarrassed. Do you have any favorite food? Uh-huh. You don't like to eat, do you? <laughs> favorite food are those luscious grapes of the hillsides of Portugal, where the Pope is now with a, with, a, with a million young people. Those delicious, luscious, sweet grapes of the Portuguese hillside. She decided to give that up and eat bitter herbs. You'll like to wear dresses, huh? You know what she wore on her, her, her waist? You know? A rough rope, and what would that do, Giselle? It would cut into her flesh, right? And it hurt. And a lady said, take it off at night because she couldn't sleep. Like to dance? She liked to dance more than you. But it wasn't like La Cantina of L.A., you know? Like an innocent dance. She gave that up. Like to pray the rosary, huh? Master Manners, huh? Yesterday I was talking to our youth group and some of them were heading back to Pomona. I said, ah, you're heading back to Pomona? Yeah, you can say a lot of rosaries and the kid went like this. <laughs> they said, well, I was up in Pomona giving the exercises 10 weeks and I was with a team of friends. Do you know how many rosaries I prayed? I prayed not one, or two or three. I prayed four rosaries in the chapel of Divine Mercy. The kid said, I'm not going to travel with you. <laughs> I'm not going to go with Father Escobita. No, 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 no. You know, what's better than praying the rose than to pray two roses? What's better than two? To pray three? Better than three? Pray four. So before, you know how they would pray the rosary because their mom and dad said you have to pray the rosary. So during their lunch break, they'd pray the rosary and Lucy would say, you're ready? Because they wanted to play. They wanted to play their games. One, two, three. Our Father. Hail Mary, 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 Hail Mary. Glory. Our Father. Hail Mary, 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 Hail Mary. Glory. Our Father. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. Glory. Our Father. Hail Mary, Hail Mary. And the parents said, Did you pray the rosary? Yes, we prayed the rosary. Didn't lie, no. But it was called the abbreviated version, okay? You know English literature, the cliff notes, the minor cliff notes, huh? <laughs> but after that, it wasn't Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. But they prayed not only one rosary, but they, played, they prayed a, a lot of rosaries because they knew that that was the way to save souls. This is the call of the king. And then one thing that I admired most was, it was a hot summer night, a, a summer afternoon, and they were dying of thirst. And they couldn't put up with it. So Lucia went to a neighboring village, a, a house, knocked on the door and said, can you give us some water to drink? They gave, the lady gave Lucia a pitcher of cold water. So... She brought back the, kit, the pitcher of cold water to Jacinta and Francisco, and what happened? She dumped the water into the ground, right? Why? Jacinta says, we can suffer thirst, 
We can save souls. And then it was so hot, and to hear these crickets, these you know, these crickets, there were loud crickets, and so Jacinta got a headache, and she started to complain. And Francisco said, "Hey, offer up your headache too. Yeah. And offering up your headache, you can save souls." So these children are models for us in the call of the king. And how was it when she was only nine years old? She got very sick. She got the Spanish flu. She ends up in the hospital in Lisbon. And her parents couldn't come because they lived far away and they didn't have a car. The little girl died all alone. How do you like to die all alone? Your parents don't come to visit you. You're all alone in the hospital. And she had to have an operation without anesthesia. Right, Mary? Got a little bit of anesthesia, but she couldn't take any more. And imagine being cut open without any anesthesia. You think we smiling with that? And she she willingly accepted it. Our lady said, Are you willing to suffer a little bit more? And Jacinta, after hell, she said, I will always say yes until I die. Now she's about the youngest saint in the Catholic Church. She died at nine years of age. Even children can become saints if you want to. Or you want to wait until you're 85. Or 86 and a half. Why? Why wait? Children can become saints. Right? You think, no, we got to sow our, our wild oats and then once I'm in my 50s, or sit there and then I'll start to become a saint. Hey, you walk in the gardens, one of the chola shoot, and you don't duck in time. We don't know. You know, come like a thief in the night, huh? Come like a thief in the night. So, ask yourselves, ask yourselves, uh, how, can, how can you bring souls closer to Christ? Look at your family, look at your work, look at your social, uh, your social circle, look at the people that you meet every day. God has purposely placed in your path people. Not starting with your family. Okay? But God has placed people in your path. How can you bring souls to God? And I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll end by giving you these, these encouraging words. St. James, St. James chapter 5. Have you read of St. James chapter 5, the last verse? St. James says, whoever brings back a wandering soul to God saves his soul and expiates a multitude of sins. So you bring someone back, you're securing your own salvation. And what does it mean, expiating a multitude of sins, less time in purgatory? Two more phrases of saints. You ever hear of John Bosco? What was his motto? His motto, no, that was Dominic Savio. His motto was, give me souls and take all the rest away. There was a 13-year-old boy that went to him. His name was Dominic Savio. And he said, I am the cloth, you are the tailor, make me a saint. Amen. Amen. I am the cloth, you are the tailor, make me a saint. You are the cloth now, and Mary and the Holy Spirit are the tailors, they want you to become great saints. Amen? Amen. The last thing I'd like to say, these are Ignatian exercises, the last words that St. Ignatius said to Francis Xavier before he went off to the Indies to convert thousands in India, in Malaysia, in Japan. His last words are the words, the last words I say to you today. He said, go set all on fire. Go set all on fire. My friends,
This world, T.S. Eliot, one of the greatest English writers, T.S. Eliot, who wrote Wasteland, he said, the world will not go up with a boom, but with a whimper, with a whimper, with a whimper. Mediocre people. Let's pray that all of us will go out and set dead souls on fire. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou in the Bless the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now, the hour of our death. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.